Father, thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for Jesus Christ, born in the flesh, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, of all places. Help us as we uh, look again at a very, very, very familiar Christmas story, to see it again with fresh eyes, with open hearts, for whatever you want to say to us today, and say to us during this Christmas season. We thank you for this time. We give it to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, mine was spent uh, part of the day with my parents, part with my in-laws. Ate way too much. I'll just confess that right off the bat. Uh, talked about all the things you shouldn't talk about with your family, religion and politics and all, all those things. And, of course, I was right and they were all wrong, so that was, that was fine too. Um, but we all got along. We actually got along, even though we, we said all these things. It, it was really good. Um, got home last night from a big day trip from Peoria, and I found out that while we were gone, my refrigerator had the audacity to go on strike and uh, didn't want to cool anymore. I guess we weren't there to watch it, you know, so it just quit, and uh, so we got to replace that. Anyway, uh, it's been good. It's been a good time with family. I hope you've had a good time with family as well. Well, with that said, we're shifting from Thanksgiving to Christmas. We're doing a new series called The Gifts of of Christmas. This is a very, I think it's a very family-friendly, it's a very visitor-friendly Christmas series. We're going to have dramas just like the one you saw today. Some are funny and humorous. Some are just more, uh, just just grab your heart like crazy. So uh, consider inviting a friend to that. And uh, today, for the first Sunday of Advent, we are focusing on uh, this gift, the gift of, of Jesus. Okay, so each Sunday we will add a gift to the Christmas tree, uh, this Sunday is the gift of Jesus. So we're starting with the best and working our way from there. We'll have other gifts we'll talk about. The idea is to talk about, you know, what is it about Christmas that enriches our lives? What, what happen, what's about Christmas that, that, that adds and, and gives us joy and gives us purpose and gives us meaning? There's a lot of things in the Christmas story that add intangible gifts that are, that are extremely valuable. So, that's what we want to do this holiday season, so consider inviting a friend into that. Would you now turn with me in your Bibles, and you can grab a note uh, from your bulletin to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. 
As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What I would like to focus on this morning out of this text, we could talk about the star, we could talk about the magi, a lot of things we could talk about. I would love to talk about the quote here uh, in verse 6, Matthew 2, verse 6. The quote comes out of the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. You have it in your notes in front of you, the yellow page. Uh, Micah 5, 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Now, this alerted Herod that the Christ, or the king of the Jews, was going to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. The the place that means house of bread, Ephrathah, meaning fruitful, but not a reference to fruitcake, as as you just heard earlier. Um, And so... Uh, Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know what, why is Herod disturbed? Well, of course he's disturbed because he's king. Romans made him king. He's not Jewish, so he's not actually king of the Jews, the way Jesus would be Jewish and thus the king of the Jews. He was actually an Edomite, you know, an Idumean, came from Esau's line, all right? So he's not Jewish at all, but he's been made king He's been ruling for a number of years, and I'm sure he's thinking about his kids. You know, my boys, one of them is going to become king after me, or maybe we'll split up the kingdom and my three boys will rule. But he's disturbed by this because he wants to solidify his rule for his line, for his children. That's probably most likely why he's disturbed. When it says all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him, of course, that's that's a figure of speech. It's, it's It's a way of saying there were a lot of people that were disturbed with Herod. Not everybody. Remember when Jesus was born that there were people that were looking for the consolation of Israel, people that were in the temple when Jesus was circumcised, and they were like, they were, it was, God revealed to them, this is the Messiah, this is the promised one. So not everybody was disturbed with Herod. But I think people that were in positions of power, scribes, Pharisees, religious leaders, people who benefited from Rome being in power, were disturbed because it was a threat to their power. You see that play out when Jesus comes onto the scene as an adult and people are threatened by him because he threatens their power. He's doing miracles. What, what need do we have of religious leaders when this man teaches with authority and casts out demons and heals the sick? And maybe people were also disturbed perhaps because they realized Herod was a ruthless man. We know part of the Christmas story that we don't enjoy is the fact that when Herod heard about Bethlehem, he had all of the the young children killed, the baby boys killed, to try to kill the king of the Jews. So if Herod ain't happy, nobody's happy. And so there might have been this feeling that if Herod's disturbed, this can't be good for us. This can't be good for us. 
And yet here come the Magi. We don't know if there was three of them or more. People think there was three because of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, three gifts, three Magi, maybe, maybe more. They probably came with an entourage. You know, they probably came with servants. These are important people. They probably had servants around them making the trip from maybe Babylon or someplace like that. When they get there, they're asking Herod, doesn't he know about the king of the Jews that's been born? And Herod wants to find out more. To find out more, he asks religious leaders. He's not Jewish, but let's get some Jewish leaders in here to help me find out who this person is. And they quote Micah 5, verse 2. Well, don't you know, he comes out of Bethlehem. A couple things I'd like you to see in this verse, Micah 5, verse 2. Bethlehem. He comes out of Bethlehem. Bethlehem might sound familiar to you because it was the place where uh, that takes place in the story of Ruth. If you remember, you've got this woman named Naomi. She's got a husband. They leave, they leave Israel. Husband dies. Her two boys die. And now she's got some daughters-in-law with her. She's a bitter woman. But Ruth never leaves her. Ruth says, I'm going to go back to your country. Ruth is from an idolatrous nation, right? You know, she's, she's an idol worshiper, essentially. And yet she says to Naomi, your God will be my God. I'm going to go back with you. Where do they go back to? Bethlehem. That's where they go. That's where Ruth meets Boaz. And you get to the end of Ruth and you realize, oh, the surprise at the end of the book of Ruth is that Jesus, and before him David, is in the line of kings that come out of Ruth and Boaz. And God is saying, I love, I love taking broken people and making something great out of them. I love taking Gentiles. I love taking the people that are on the outs, the most non-religious, I don't mean religious in the, I guess what I mean is I, the most pagan people and making them my people. That's what God does. So you have Ruth and Boaz. Later you have a little boy named David who wasn't as tall or as strong or as amazing as his brothers, but the prophet Samuel was sent to Bethlehem to anoint a new king of Israel. Who gets anointed? David, the one you wouldn't think, the one who was the shepherd boy, who was ready to shepherd the people of Israel. He was faithful in the few things. He had, a, he had a small job, take care of sheep, and God took him and made him something great. God loves taking people that are faithful with a little thing and giving them huge responsibility after they've proven that they can be faithful looking after smelly sheep. Now you get to look after smelly people. King David. There you go. So Bethlehem is, is, is this little town six miles south of Jerusalem that plays a huge role in the Bible, in kings, because God loves taking small things and making great things out of them. The text goes on to say in Micah that this is going to be a ruler over Israel. Did you see this in Micah 5.2? Out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel. So it's like God is saying, I'm looking at a small town named Bethlehem. Out of that little town, I am going to take and make someone that's going to be a ruler. And, and, and the greatest ruler. The greatest ruler. Um, this ruler, though, 
if you look at the end, has ancient origins. The origins are from old, from ancient times. So the ruler is going to be born, and he's going to threaten Herod and threaten the people, and, and people are going to hate him because he is the king of the Jews, and yet his origins are much older than Herod. He's older than Herod, even though he was born during Herod's time. You see, the verse is proclaiming that this person that's going to come onto the scene is going to be ancient. And so Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. And that's when people picked up stones to stone him because he claimed to have ancient origins. Now, we have another word for this. Sometimes people read the Old Testament and we see see God in the flesh. We, we, We see pictures of God interacting with people but God has flesh on. And often when we talk about those images, we're talking about um, what we call Christophanies. Okay? Um, and it's not that I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that these people, when they show up, that this is Jesus. But doesn't it make you wonder, when you look back, who, who are these people that are interacting with, with Israel, with others? Who was walking in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve heard that person walking towards them? Well, we know it was God, but does God make footsteps? Well, yeah, he does. And maybe that was Jesus. Maybe. Who was wrestling with Jacob that night before he had to meet his brother? Perhaps it was Jesus. Certainly God, but perhaps God in the flesh. Maybe it was Emmanuel God with us? Maybe. We could go on and we could talk about uh, Joshua before they fight the battle of Jericho. He meets with the commander of the Lord's army. Remember that? If you watch the Veggie Tales, um, right, uh, it, 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 it's kind of this uh, shining individual, and you don't get the impression. I don't think that it's Jesus or God necessarily, but you'll notice that Joshua falls down in reverence to this commander. I don't think it's an angel. I'm sure it's not an angel because the commander of the Lord's army says, take your sandals off, which is the same thing that the burning bush says to Moses. Take your sandals off. Normally when you see angels talking to people, the angel's always saying stuff like, don't be afraid, you know? Or or in Revelation they're saying, "Uh, get up, John, you can't worship me. I'm not God. When you see angels in the Old Testament or the angel of the Lord, typically when people bow down, the angel's like, that's right, that's what you do. This is God. Or, or they say things like, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. The only angel that demands worship that we know of is Satan. So it makes sense that when people are worshiping the quote-unquote angel of the Lord, that's a euphemism for God himself, and perhaps Jesus Christ. And of course, you know, uh, you that were in Sunday school, you remember probably the most famous, uh, perhaps, appearance of Jesus is um, the fiery furnace, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown in, the door is closed, and yet there's four guys in there. There's four guys in there. And again, if you remember your Veggie Tales well enough, you remember one of them's real shiny. I can quote it. Real shiny. And, and again, uh, you're thinking, who's the fourth person? And, and if, if it's right to assume 
that when God takes on flesh, it's an appearance of Jesus, then those would be appearances of Jesus. Maybe my favorite one, though, is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne, right? He sees him. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, it says that, that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. That's John chapter 12. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. And so you're thinking, it sounds like that's Jesus on the throne that, 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 that Isaiah saw that day. So you have these references to perhaps Jesus in ancient times. And it's not that I can prove conclusively, but it does make a lot of sense when you consider that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God in the flesh. And this is a a pre-incarnate revealing. Perhaps. Perhaps. In any case, however we look at this, what Micah 5.2, I believe, is proclaiming clearly, and you heard in the drama, and I'll say it again for emphasis, this is what God does. God takes small people, small places, little known, insignificant, who's heard of them, and he brings great things out of it. He loves taking the humble and exalting them. He loves taking the shepherd boy that was faithful looking after sheep, and making him into a king. This is what God does. He takes small things and makes great things out of them. And that's kind of our main point this morning. God makes great things out of the small. And I hope that's an encouragement to you that, for instance, giving a gift to a child like we've talked about this morning. You know, take a Take one of those gifts on the board out there, buy the gift, and bring it back. You have no control over what that gift does, who it goes to. You're just doing your part. That The small thing, you're trusting God for the rest. And God loves taking these small things and making them great. So let's say a couple things about this and about God here um, that we can gain from this passage. Number one. You heard it again in the drama, and I'm going to say it again. Would you make Jesus the main ingredient of your Christmas season? Would you make Jesus the main ingredient of your Christmas season? Our our, our lady here um, uh, substituted salt for sugar, and that's a disaster. Have you thought about how you're going to keep Jesus in your Christmas season, in your family, as the main ingredient? Have you processed that? Have you thought about that? It's a good question. Because Herod wanted to remove Jesus from the picture. We want to lift him up and exalt him as the greatest thing. How do you do that? For some of you, it might be read the Christmas story every year with your family. For some other years of you, you're going to sing a Christmas carol together when you gather together. There's a lot of different examples you could hopefully give of ways you're going to do that. I know that lights are wonderful at Christmas. I know we want snow. We've already got it. I guess we're fine with that. Um, Reindeer, Santa. 
I, I'm not saying that these things are bad, and, and they're, but, but they're all the lesser things at Christmas. I mean, they add to the holiday spirit. I get it. And I'm not anti-Santa. I'm okay. But I don't want to go out of, way, out of the way in my life to exalt him. I'd rather go out of my way to exalt Christ. And I hope for you, if Jesus is the most amazing gift at Christmas, and we're starting with that this whole series, then I hope you go out of your way. I hope you take great pains to do that. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if your kids do this. My kids do this sometimes. Uh, they'll argue about who's stronger, right? And the other per- and one will say, well, I'm the strongest. And the one will say, well, I'm stronger than that. No, I'm stronger than that. Well, I'm the strongest of the strong. Well, I'm strong times infinity. You know, you, you can see how this plays out. You've done that, right? You were a kid and you were... F- infinity takes it all, right? When you say that, it's like over. Well, I'm infinity times infinity, you know. Um, we, we, all, we all did this. W- would, you, would you understand... Would you exalt Christ as the most better, the greatest of the great, whatever times infinity at Christmas? Would you do that and find ways to make sure he's at the center of what you do this holiday season? Maybe you watch a nativity movie. Maybe you go to the live nativity that's going to be in Eagle River. Maybe you invite someone to one of these church services. Let me ask you this. I told myself I was going to watch the time, so I don't want to go long. But can I just ask you what you do to, to make Jesus a more focal point in your holiday season? Who, who has one? What do, you, what do you do as a family to keep him center? Yes, Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Studying the Christmas story, singing the songs. Yes. A birthday cake for Jesus with balloons. It's a birthday party. Love it. Yes. Mm-hmm. What else do you do? Anybody? I know, talking in front of people. Yes, thank you, Mary Jo. Uh-huh. Yes. Good. Committing Scripture to memory this Christmas as a way of... Uh, God, I love you. I want to commit this to memory. Good. Anybody else? I know. You're talking in public. I know. Okay. I want to make sure I didn't miss anybody. Yeah. Oh, over. Over. Yes. Thank you. Okay. You listen to the Festival of, of Carols? 
Nine Lessons and Carols. From Cambridge, England. Very good. Very good. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm having Thanksgiving with my family, and, and I'm driving over to the other side of the family, my wife's side of the family, and I'm driving by Walmart, and I can see the lines of people around the store. I drive by Kohl's. I can see the lines there as I'm going to their house. And it's like I, I, I see what people are valuing, and I'm not, I'm not saying you can't shop on Friday. I'm not, I'm not trying to get legalistic at all. I'm just saying with the force of the holiday being about what you're going to buy and what you're going to give, it seems like we need an equally forceful reaction that this is what it's really about. How are you going to equally enforce the Christ-centeredness of your holiday? That's it. How are you going to make this about the gift of Jesus? How are you going to do that? Let me say secondly, would you trust God to take your small actions and enlarge them? Whatever you do for other people, would you trust God to take whatever you have to give Him and enlarge it? Make it greater than what you gave. Would you trust God that if you go to the nursing home and sing to the residents as a gift to Jesus, that he's going to take that and do something beautiful with it, and whether it goes really well or whether the people don't want to hear you read it all, that he's going to take that and use it. I mean, I've given a gift. One time we gave a, a great gift to a family anonymously, and it didn't work. I mean, they didn't know we gave it, but we never really became friends with them. They kind of rejected us almost. And it's like, I thought God was going to take our loving efforts and multiply them and, and, make, and make this great relationship. But I didn't see it happen. And yet, I have to have faith that that act did something. And it's whatever God wanted to do with that anonymous gift that we gave. We had a plan for it. God had a different plan for it. Would you trust him if you take one of those kids and buy a gift? Would you trust him when you give to our missionaries for care packages? They may never know it was you. And hopefully they don't know it was you. But would you trust that God's going to take that and do something big with it? Would you trust that these small actions, like the Grinch, (laughs) the stole Christmas, actually end up enlarging your heart? This is what God loves to do. You do the small thing, you put the money in the red kettle, but he can make something bigger out of it, both in your heart and with your gift. Would you trust him for that? Because people would not have picked Bethlehem to have their king be born. They wouldn't have picked the stable, they wouldn't have picked a manger, If it was up to the world, we would have blown trumpets, had a parade, announced it in a great way. This is the king. But God says, I want to take something small and little so that I can do something amazing with it. Would you consider that this holiday season? I'd like to close with John 3, verse 16. You know this. You know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God, for God, the, the, the creator, the one who made everything, the, 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 one, the one whose image you bear, for God so loved the world. He, he loved the world. He loved all the people of the world, the people that know him, the people that don't know him, the pagans, the people that are so far from him, 
the people that are great in the world and have lots of popularity and influence, the people that are small in the world and don't have any influence at all hardly, He loves them. People of different genders. People of different orientations. People of different sin struggles. People of addiction. He loves them. He loves them. People living in darkness. People that have never seen the light of hope in Jesus. He loves them. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. You think about this. He gave. It's a gift. His one and only Son. It's His best. It's, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the sale price gift. It's not the got a huge discount gift. It's let me take my most valuable thing ever and just give it to you. You can reject it. You can return to sender. You can spit on it. You can mock it. You can use his name in vain. You can do all these things, fine. But I'm still giving you my best. You can trample him. You can crucify him. I'm giving him to you. And this is what we did. He gave His one and only Son. He gave His best. That whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him shall not perish. So you put your faith in. You believe. You trust Him. You give your life to Him. You believe. You reach out your hands and accept the gift. And then you don't have to perish. You die, death's not the final answer. The sting is taken out of death. You don't have to perish. God's wrath is no longer coming down on you, only showering with love. His grace is falling down. You don't pay for your sins, your sins are paid for. You don't perish. You're not in darkness anymore, you're in light. You don't have a worldly understanding of things, you have a godly understanding of things. It's insight. You don't perish. Your mind is renewed. You begin to be transformed. That's what we call having eternal life. You should not perish, but you have eternal life. You have life that with Jesus that starts now and lasts forever. It's not something just for heaven. It's something that's now. It's insight into God's ways. It's being justified, declared not guilty. It's being transformed after that. And then after that, it's being glorified in heaven. No more sin. You get life. One day, life will invade your body in the resurrection, and life will wipe out all sickness, all disease, all desire to sin, all of it, all decay, all hate, all anger, all of that will just be gone. You'll have life. And somehow, in a mysterious way, that life starts now. And it's not fully here because you have eternal life now, but you still deal with sin. You still deal with the hate. You still deal with these things that come at you. You still deal with sickness. But life is being added to you one day fully. And this is the gift that God has given people. It's His best gift. It's a gift of Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? Worship team, you're invited to come up. If you're here this Sunday and you've never accepted that gift, you've never taken that step of faith, then we're here to tell you an ancient message 
that God sent His only Son to die on a cross for sin. He died for all of your mistakes, all your violations of His commandments. Every last one of them. And you can reach out and take that gift today. If that's how God is leading you. If that is how God is leading you, I'd love to pray with you today. Would you look up at me if that is you and you need to pray this morning? Would you just look up at me if you need to accept the gift? All right. I see the couple of you that are looking. Would you pray a prayer like this if God is truly speaking to you this morning and you were truly submitting to him? Would you pray a prayer like this in your heart? Lord Jesus, this morning I recognize that you are the greatest gift ever given. And I recognize and I accept that as I receive you into my life, I'm receiving life, forgiveness of sins, because you died for me. I'm so sorry for all of those things that I've done that have violated your commands. But I am so happy and full of joy right now because you have forgiven me. Thank you. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the life with Jesus that starts now and lasts forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.